So supposedly, there's a way to do sad happy. Love to hear this one. Da, 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 da. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Consciously family, welcome back to the Consciously Podcast, a great podcast today. I'm joined by my friend, mentor, Mashpia, Rabbi Mayor Prager, to talk about morning, you know, a topic that's... Uh, very timely for this uh, time of year. Before we get there, please uh, thank you for joining us and please do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast, give us five stars and a review. Check us out on social media uh, at The Light Revealed on Instagram and on Facebook or Menachem Puzz on Instagram. Also, check out our books, Consciously Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator and Stepping Out of the Abyss, A Jewish Guide to the Twelve Steps. Now, if you want to reach out, questions, comments, concerns, you can reach us on Instagram at the Light Revealed or by email at the Light Revealed at TLRfamily.com.org. The Light Revealed at TLRfamily.org. Okay, great episode. I asked Mayor to come sit down. It was actually his father's Eurotite recently, as you'll hear in the episode. And we were reflecting on, on mourning and on loss and on uh, transforming our sadness into uh, the most powerful gladness. So, hope you enjoy. Okay, here we are. Okay, so we're joined today by my partner in crime. On, uh, you know, because one is never enough for me. <laughs> my partner in crime, in crime, Rabbi Mayor Prager. Thank you for joining us, Rabbi. Thank you. <laughs> Mayor. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Mayor. So, Mayor and I, for those who who aren't familiar yet, uh, we have a really awesome podcast. It's really his podcast that I have the privilege to be a participant in uh, called Practically If I Bring In, and we're looking at the the eternal ancient wisdom of Tanya and kind of touching on particular themes and thoughts and perspectives and how they relate to life. And, you know, we spend some time reflecting on that together and drawing from our own life experiences. And um, Mayer is really the the person most significantly introduced me to Chabad Hasidus. So it's it's a great honor to be here. Um, so what we want to talk about today, as I mentioned in the in the introduction, we're coming on an interesting time um, as in the for the Jewish people in our calendar. You know, we're in the middle of the summer, as I mentioned in in last week's episode. You know, it's it's a weird time. The summer's like a time where everyone's having fun and out and about and vacationing, and yet and right in the middle of it, you know, the terror seems to like you know. Time of mourning. <laughs> it invites us to mourn. It's kind of like a, you know, a vibe killer, you know, as, as they say. Terror, terror draws us back in towards, because this time of year, the three weeks between Shavasa Batamas and Tishabav is a time of, of, historically speaking, of tragedies. And it's a time where we're invited back in to reflect on what was and where we are and where we'd like to be and, and where we're moving to. So I asked Mayor to join us today. And we're, we're going to try to talk about like what it's like to face loss and what it's like to live in the aftermath of loss and what it's like as children to face loss. And in some context, we'll talk about children, but also the fact that we're all kids, we're all God's kids. And we're all facing kind of the loss of, um, you know, our national stature, our place where we belong, who we are, the intergenerational trauma that is, uh, that is Judaism that is the Jewish people. So kind of looking at that and, and also, you know, finding a way to, to live presently 
in in the today while honoring what's past. And the reason we're doing that today and the, the context to that, and hopefully to give it a little bit of meaning and why I asked Mayor to join us today is, you know, Mayor is celebrating actually today on the day we're recording. It won't be on the day it's released, but he's celebrating the yurt site of his father uh, and kind of walking through that. And, and, and Mayor, I'm going to invite him in a second to, to introduce that, but Mayor lost his dad at a relatively young age. And, um, and that's been, it's something that we've talked about a lot. And it's something that I think uh, has been a big part of what's made him facing that and becoming the man that he is, has kind of been a big part of what makes him the teacher and, and the chassid that he is. So I asked him to come on and join us today. Thank you for joining us, Mayor, and for willing to share with the audience a little bit of the personal stuff. And uh, I'll invite you to share with us a little bit about who your father was and what that experience was like for you. And then maybe we can fabrang a little bit about, you know, life. Today is his yard site. Uh, he would have been a uh, hundred years old today. Oh wow! So he was born in 1922. He was born in the <coughs> famous city of Brisk, all the Gedalim, all the great uh, litvisha leaders came from. My my grandfather was the Sheikhet of Brisk, so was my his grandfather and his grandfather and grandfather. They were the Shochdim uh, of Brisk. That was in those days. The Sheikhet was very prominent job in the spiritual community. And um, and my father ended up in Chabad Yeshiva, which ended because he wasn't in Brisk at the time of the war. He ended up staying alive. They ended up getting passports to go, visas to go with the Sugihara visas, which is a history in itself. It's a Japanese um, consulate. Uh, he was... Um, he saw what was going on with the Nazis. and He decided he needs to help out, so he started giving out visas to go to Japan. And then when the Japanese heard that he's getting, that all these Jews are getting <coughs> passports, they, they called him back in. And he was actually giving out visas on the train as it left. He was from Chassidi Umasayilam. So he saved a multiple amount of Jews. And they all went to China, and then China, they threw, got thrown out. They ended up in Shanghai. And in Shanghai, that's where the Mir Yeshiva was, and there was Lubavitch Yeshiva there. And they were there during the war, and then they came, they came to America. My father was a very, very special person. What was his name, your father? Menachem Nachem. Menachem Nachem, Prager. Yeah. And a uh, very big charity giver. Tremendous personality. It's very interesting. My daughter just got married. Um, so the grandfather of the Hassan said over that it was 1973 when he went into the to Rebbe for a private audience. He was just starting off his life. And the Rebbe tells him, Kranheitz needs a flower shop. 1973, everybody was fleeing Kranheitz. Chabad was the only one staying back, so it was really become it was falling apart. And they ever wanted it to be a full-fledged community and with, with all the resources. And he asked, you know, he needs a job. You know, he said, why don't you start a flower shop? So he started a flower shop. And uh, he, he says, my father walked in the first day. He says, oh, so nice. He opened a flower shop, and he gave him a standing order of every Shabbos to send flowers to the house. And then he looks around, he goes you don't have that much merchandise here. So my father gave him $2,000, 1973, that's a lot of money. He says, don't pay me back the first year. 
Next year, you can pay me back a hundred dollars a week, a month. And he says that's how he started his uh, his business. Wow! And lo and behold, uh, my daughter my my daughter marries his his, his grandson. grandson. Wow! Yeah. So my father was a very tremendous sports stalker, and uh, fortunately, at age fifty nine, he had a heart attack and he passed away. Wow! Well, how, what what when was that? Nineteen eighty one. 1981. So how old were you? 17. Right. Wow. Yeah, that was that was tough. It was very tough. Actually, I was, that summer, I was, the first time I was a junior counselor in a day camp, in a Chabad day camp in California. And for me, that was like the highlight. You know, you're going to California in the summer as a day camp and having all this freedom and fun. Where in California was that? It was in San Diego. Okay. To boot. It was, it was simply, the, I was having the time of my life. Yeah. Things were unbelievable. And then my, uh, on Shiva Asabatamas, my brother gets engaged. And my father wants me to come. He, still, he tells me that, you know, we're going to, I want you to come back. My, part, the family was very important because he has nobody left from his family. Right. So, he lost everyone in the war. Yeah. Besides a brother. And uh, he had no and his brother lived in Israel. So he, for the engagement party, he wanted us to come, come in. So it was going to be in a week later. On, uh, on Chofa of Tammuz, which is a few days later, you know, it was us. It was before the, uh, someone wakes me up in the morning, tells me, yeah, you have to, you have to fly into, into New York. I go, no, I'm going in a couple of days. No, they go, no, 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 you have to go now, now, now. And they rush me. I don't know what's the rush. And they, you know, we go, go, go. You have to go. We have your first flight. I remember <clears throat> getting on a plane. In those days, you remember there was a big movie, and the whole clan, the whole airplane saw the same movie. Right. Some Steve Martin movie, and it was funny. Steve Martin was at his prime, and it was, really, you know, coming back. I was all tanned. I come to the airport, and uh, there were two, two guys there. One I knew, one I didn't really know. They go, you have any bags? Like, very stern. I was like, what? We came to pick you up. You have any bags? I go, no. They take me in a car. And how far is it from JFK to Montefiore Cemetery? Yeah, 10 like, seconds. Like, like five minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes. In the car, they told me that my father had a heart attack. So I'm like, so where, which hospital was he in? He goes, no, we're going to the Levaya. Oh, wow. They uh, took me to Montefiore Cemetery, and they put me, they dropped me off right by an open grave. Nothing around. And they, they walked away. They left. And they left. And I'm like, what the heck? It, it, what, the Levi didn't make it there yet? And five minutes later, the Levi just comes in, and then they grab you and tear your shirt, and then this. And I'm like, it, wow. it was... Going from the highest high to the lowest low, and like, psh. talk about terrifying. Like, uh, it was very dramatic. Yeah, very, very, very intense. But what's most amazing to me about that event was, it was the next day. It was a summer morning. It was, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning, and for a second you think it's all a dream. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not a dream. Mm. 
that's that's a that's a harsh reality. The next day, when you thought it was a dream, it wasn't. And I remember looking out the window. I see cars going by. Traffic is normal. I saw my neighbor coming out of his house to get the New York Times. And all of a sudden, it just it just hit me like a like a ton of bricks. Life goes on. You gotta you gotta you gotta. Life goes on. Hmm. But that was a tremendous. My father. Was, I was very very close to my father. It was everything to me. It was very very difficult. Still is difficult. Is the when you talk about life goes on? Is that like an awareness that you have that life would go on for you, or was it? like an awareness that everyone else is moving on and you're stuck in this new reality. I didn't separate me from them. It's just life. It just go, it goes on. Hmm. You just have to go, now you have to go downstairs, and now you have to say Kaddish, now you have to do your things. You just got to gotta keep moving. Where did you get that? I don't know. That strength as a 17-year-old kid? I don't know. It's very weird. But it was so powerful. I remember that was like a gift because um, other members didn't feel like that and they didn't, uh, they took the, the loss very harsh and it's been a weight on them. I see in other people also. I always tell the story to people because it's very dangerous what happens right away afterwards, how you deal with that loss. Mm. And they always, I guess they feel that if they don't, if they don't self-destruct, they're not honoring their parents. Wow. And, um, and I thought it was the bigger honor was just to move on with whatever you, you can. Wow. I, I, I was th- sitting here thinking, I was, not to <coughs> interrupt your narrative, but, you know, there's like, you're describing like two, what we would call traumas. I can, uh, we're using like a clinical lens, right? So there's like one, the one trauma is like, they just told you five minutes ago that your father passed away and then they dump you in front of an open grave and then everyone shows up and it's a hustle and bustle. And it's like, that seems like it would be a bigger trauma, but then there's this other trauma, secondary trauma. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone describe it this way. That's what I'm hearing from you. I think it's a very, very interesting insight that like as, as traumatic as that might've been like the waking up the next day. And realizing, like, this is actually my reality. My reality has now transformed. Everything is different. That almost seems like like a more overwhelming moment. And then what you said was, was that this shift in consciousness where you realized the world is moving on. And I've had that experience. But like you described, many times I felt like, I felt like, like enraged that the world was moving on. Because I wanted to, I want to swim in, right. in that sadness. And for whatever reason, you didn't have that reaction. You had that experience that I think is a very human experience. Like, oh my gosh, the world is... Why doesn't everyone realize that everything changed? And instead, you you had a shift in consciousness and you realized the world is moving on and, you know, this is what I'm showing up to today. On the first part, you said, it's interesting to note, no, no, I can't compare anything to the Holocaust. But I remember Label Zisman, who used to live here, Ova Shalom, and he... Um, he was telling me once that he was able to survive in the camps. But when, the, when they, they freed the camps and he was in the DP camps, he says, I, I, I wanted to commit suicide. Mm. Not in the camps, not inside. When he was in the DP camp. It was almost like when reality kicked in that 
this is his new reality. There's no father, no mother, no no brother. There's nothing. Zero. And I guess in there's no gun on his head that was telling him what to do anymore. Right. And now it's all up to you. Like, what are you doing with it? He was so depressed. Then he had this tremendous, amazing miracle. It's, he felt he went to sleep, and his mother came to him in his dream, and he goes, Label, why are, you, why are you crying? Your brother's looking for you. And then when he wakes up, he literally, he hears that his brother's looking for him. Wow. And that was, that gave him a reason to That to gave continue. him purposefulness. Yeah. So there's something about the next day when, you know, when you're by yourself, you just woke up in the morning, and it's reality. It's another day. It's a new day. Now you, now you have to carry this this way. Till now, you know, they were, they were pushing me. Stand here, say Kaddish here. Turn around, say now, do this, do this. And in that, in that state, you're not, you're, not, you're not taking it in yet. But when you're by yourself, then it's, it sinks in. Yeah. And how that, epif- that, that epiphany that I had, then the life goes on, I don't know. That was a true, you know, I guess, mir- you know, miracle moments. Miracles come in different ways. Right. It reminds me, it's interesting, it reminds me of the, the, this part of this conversation. It reminds me of a mimer that both of us, that we've learned together many times, where the Rebbe talks about the, the kasas lamar, the, the extra squeeze that it seems like it's difficult. He, he, he makes a, like almost, not to, not to reduce the enormity of the Rebbe saying a mimer and chasidus, but, 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 but just to put it into psychological terms for us, you know, he makes almost like a sociological observation that you had these people that were in the Soviet Union and when they were under this tremendous strain to have self-sacrifice and uphold Yiddishkeit, they, 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 were, they showed tremendous mesiras nefesh, tremendous self-sacrifice, and they had a tremendous like, uh, spiritual adrenaline that allowed to carry them through. But then when they came to this country... And then suddenly everything was kind of okay. And I know it's like an opposite observation, but it's interesting the the parallel. You know, they they, they shied away from that. You know, and 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 the, what what strikes me always about that kind of observation is that the Rebbe is saying is that in a certain way, this is actually harder. Abundance, decadence, the moment after the the rupture, in some ways, is is a much more challenging um, space to live in. And and that gives an interesting kind of context. You talked about the Holocaust a moment ago, and you talked about the way in which the Holocaust, the influence it had in your father's life. You know, thinking about you know what we're going through, kind of like we're it's almost like we're waking up in a certain way. You know, particularly at these like last moments, oh, God willing, of our of our uh, of this gullus, You know, kind of in this odd space, like this uh, you know bein hashmashos in between space, like we're waking up after this insane two thousand year craziness. And it's like, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to like face all of that. I don't know, that's where my mind goes. It's interesting to note also, I think that um, the way the terror treats death is also in a, in a forward-moving movement process. So first is the Shiva. This is the first day. First day they treat it, you know, you don't have, you don't have to put on fill and you, you know, you just, you're, you need your space. Then the shiva, which is, you know, you sit, you have to just mourn, 
no business, not, you know, just more. Then right away you have to get up. To get up, but you get up, you go to Shleishim. There are certain rules for Shleishim for 30 days. Yeah. And then Shleishim is over. And then you have to go past that Shleishim state. state. And then you have the year. And then after the year, it's done. You, know, you move on. You have to move on, yeah. Yeah, so there's a, a whole process of moving on. I've always, I've always thought that I don't, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an extreme statement to make, but I've always thought that the most psychological or obviously psychologically astute area of halacha is how the Torah directs us to engage Avelis. Like it's so, it's so intuitive. Like not that I thinking, me thinking it's intuitive makes it valid, but but you know when you find something that's so so sensible, the Torah says like no 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 no, you know I was watching I was watching a, a movie yesterday with my son, and and uh, it was it's very it's very, it very nice it's very nice movie it was about a guy who encountered like tremendous loss I guess it was similar he lost his family, and they go to the funeral and it's similar to kind of I guess environments that I've been in after loss when they're when they're not rooted in like halacha so. You know, you, you go to the funeral, and then after the funeral, you sit around, you get drunk, you joke around, like, <laughs> like and then the next, and then you move on, and then it's like you gotta go to work the next day. And the Torah, the way that halacha dictates, is very, very different. Yeah. It says, no, 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 sit here, sit here, but know that in seven days this is over, and you're gonna sit here and you're gonna mourn this space. You're going to to allow yourself. You're gonna validate the the reality of what you're encountering. And then you're going to get up and you're going to move on, like you said, the next space. But, but we're not letting go. We're still there. We're just kind of like easing you into it, you know. And then there's like the Avelis and then there's returning to it from a Yurtzai perspective. And then Yisker and Yantif. Like the Torah, it's so, it's so healthy. It's so meaningful. You remind me of a story. It's a fantastic story that the previous Obama Travis speaks about. He says over the, with his it was once Sebchester with his father, and they were looking at a, an elderly chassid. Sebchester was, was crying, but you know, whatever, some, you know, emotionally, it got, whatever it was, it got to him, he was crying. So it looked, it looked you know, nice, you know, spiritual. But the Rebbe Shab, his father, tells him, he goes, You know why he's crying on Sebchester? Because he didn't cry correctly on Rosh Hashanah. He says he's got it all mixed up, and now and now now he's losing his simchaster. And this is a time and there's a place. You mourn correctly. You'll you'll laugh correctly. Everything has its time and its place. Mm. And uh, the terror is very much into that. You have to mourn at the right way, at the right time. And then ho- you know, hopefully you will, uh, you'll you'll be stronger on the way out. Mm. Be able to be, and it doesn't hurt you, but it makes you. So then, if we if we like think in context, the fact that the Torah invites us back into this three week space once a year, right, is like utterly sensible. Exactly, because like the rest of the year, you're not supposed to be kind of walking around with your a chip on your shoulder about your suffering as much. Not that not to minimize, obviously, if someone's struggling, but but like now's the time to. Exactly. To cry, so that you're not busy doing that. 
the rest of the year. Now, yeah, now is a certain morning time. Then it goes the nine days, and then goes Shiva, almost the same way as the reverse, the day of the passing. Nine days, Shiva days, and the three weeks, like the month or the year. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so it's like a backward. It's a backward. And then it's interesting because right after, right after Tishabov comes Tubav, uh, right. which is a, like a, a, an, inc- an utterly enjoyable day, an utterly and joyous that, and, day. And that's the point. If you really cry correctly or mourn correctly on Tishabov, then you're going to really appreciate someone's weddings and Simchas with Tubav, which was. The boys and girls got together, and those many shidduchim. I mean, you you you're happy, and you can move on, right? Because I mean, the the idea of making a shidduch is the willingness to, you know, start start a life, right? I mean, you look at like what your father did, what all the survivors did, my grandparents, you know, like after that, you know, even you were talking about Lebel Zisman, you know, after that destruction, the assumption would be like, okay, well, like whatever, just try to like live, like forget, like getting married and having the hopefulness of building a family that requires tremendous it's resilience. Truly, it's truly absolutely amazing. And I don't know why it's not spoken about how the, the generation that came out of the Holocaust built everything. Yeah. They I, built unbelievable stuff. And yeah, there's sometimes people... I, I think it's hard because we're still living in the, the shadow of it. I think I think you're second generation. I don't know if you can get lost in this, but you're second generation. I'm a third generation, so I think our context is 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 it's interesting juxtaposition wise. But so much of the second generation, this is my observation. So much of the second generation, we're kind of living under the shadow of what their parents went through and the and the how intimidating that was, and and then for us in the third generation, it's kind of like you know watching what our grandparents went through and their parents went through. It, I think it's interesting the, the way in which my kids experience this. Because my kids, um, I'm very thankful that my kids spent a lot of time with my grandfather. They met both my grandparents, but one of my grandfathers. And they have a certain reverence that even though like I was awed by my grandfather, but he was a complicated guy. Survivors were complicated people. You know, right. they're, like they're like, look what they went through. Right. It's interesting. Also, at, when I was a kid, and there was, their survivors were still young. Right. Nobody spoke about it. Right. They didn't speak about any experience. About the war. Nothing. Right. And they kind of had that feeling. I believe where life goes on. Right. They all had that that epiphany at one point. Life goes on, so they just moved forward. Oh wow! They didn't. They didn't look back. That other. They didn't sit there and say, "You know what happened to me? You know what happened to me?" You know what happened? No, just moved on. Right. So, so let me let me ask you this. Okay. So that's this is a very interesting kind of uh, point to me. So we t- we observe like the survivors, and there was definitely consequences to the fact that they just moved forward. There were consequences. That's like it's. it's I, I think it'd be impossible to deny that. At the same time, we can have tremendous reverence. And then you look at your experience and, you know, you, you had this moment of epiphany where you realize like, okay, this is my reality and this is my new reality and life goes on. And I have to, my job today is to go downstairs and sit Shiva. That's my job. And, and you can see the way in which that has contributed to the, to the person you're trying to be, to the man you're trying to be and, and the way in which you've been able to move on, to move past 
your father's loss and, and juxtaposition that you, you have to other people that you observe that maybe don't have the same sense of closure with it. However, you, you brought up an interesting point because and I, I think it was very, very astute, like psychological observation, which is there's this sense that if I move on, I'm disrespecting or dishonoring the past. I'm dishonoring my parents. Right. I'm dishonoring my trauma. So what do you do with that? Meaning how does moving on not dishonor that? What gives permission? What would somebody think if they're feeling like, like I'm not allowed to move past this? You know, I didn't know this at the time, but afterwards I saw beautiful letters from the Babaji Rebbe to mourners. And, and I saw one, one theme many times mentioned again and again and saying that the Nishamas are aware of what's going on. And when they know that they're causing grief to their loved ones, that in and of itself causes grief to them. And when they see that their loved ones are strong and they're moving forward and they're making a life out of themselves and they're growing, and because of the, who, the influence that they gave them, and then they become, it, empower, it, it gives them energy. So it's almost like the more we're sad about the loss, we're hurting them. Mm. They don't want to destroy it. They don't want us broken. So you're saying it's counterintuitive. It seems as if yeah. moving on is forgetting them. But really moving on. And we're moving on because of them. We're living them now. What would my father want me to do now? What would make him happy? He would make me happy if I, if I was a good person, if I did good deeds. If I moved on, that's what he would want from me. So I'm honoring what he wants. If, you're, if, you're, if you stay in this sad place, you're, you're disrespecting them. You're hurting them. It's not what they want from you. They want you to be happy. They want you to have a good life. And you're using them to destroy your life? It's not, it's not nice. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to them. Mm. So the, the way in which we take the time necessary, just to kind of pull together the different themes that we talked about, the way in which we use the time necessary to mourn, which is a way of honoring, but then also moving on and honoring them, honoring those who have passed, honoring what came before by moving forward. It, by doing that, that's, that's how we are ostensibly most honoring what was and what is. Exactly. We're living their life now. Living, we're living their life. They made us. Want, and they want us to be a certain person, have a vision, and we're, and we're walking the walk for them. Right. I, I was listening recently to, to Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky. He used to dive with us back in the day. Yeah. And he, was, he, was, he said such a novel thing. So it's so, so like rooted in the rabbi. He says, like, like, okay, so we're looking at, like, we want Mashiach to come. Right? So, like... So we want him to come now. But like the truth is we look at us and we look at past generations and it seems like, okay, we're a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> like, like why is Mashiach going to come for us versus like right. all those past generations? And then he just said, well, we're the only ones who are here. <laughs> we're, we're all that's available. 
you know so it's like and and in context to what you're talking about is like we are meaning we are embodying everyone that came before us we are honoring them we are carrying that kind of legacy into the moment today and that in and of itself is what makes it makes it the right thing makes us worthy you know it's that that's that respect actually uh it says about uh when Moshe said to God, I want to see the truth. God said, I can't show you my face. I'll show you behind the, uh, the backside. And and he kind of, it sh- when God passed him, he, he kind of saw all the generations. And then it says, he fell on his face. And he says, Chazal say, what did he see? So there's one is one opinion is he saw the truth that made him fall. And the other opinion is he saw the last generation before Mashiach. And he, it made him drop. Mm. Why did he drop? Because yeah. he couldn't believe that people who have so little, there was so little inspiration, no miracles, no nothing, and they have the inner strength to say, move on. This is what God wants. We're davening, we're learning. I don't feel it. I'm, gonna, I'm getting up anyways. And they're staying strong in the Yiddishkeit with no outside help at all. He was flawed. He couldn't believe this could be such a such a generation like this. So what we call knuckleheads, in truth, shows an incredible inner strength that we have. That we still we're, st- we're here, committed completely, unconditional, to move on. Wow. So what's the takeaway? Where do we go from here? It's it's uh, tough Shimpei Bay's. It's 2022. We're here. It's the summer. It's uh, what's the takeaway? <laughs> what's the takeaway? Takeaway is, you know, at Shiva I said the story over, and not Shiva Chasholm at the Shiva uh, and I always love this story. The, the Medrash says on the on the pasuk. On the words, so many words for happiness, happy of this, you know, all these. So the message says, there was once a couple that uh, got married, and after 10 years, they didn't have kids. They loved each other, they didn't have kids. So it's halacha, if you're, you can stay married or not, because the whole purpose of marriage is for kids, so to speak. So they went to their rabbi, Shim Ben Yechai. What do we do? We want to stay married, but we don't have any kids. Shimon Yechai says, you know, you have to separate, you should separate. But just like you had a you had a party, a simcha, when you got married, you should make a simcha when you, when you, uh, on this divorce. So this is the first recorded divorce party <laughs> ever. <laughs> I do know. I always amaze me. Like, what does it? What does it look like? <laughs> How do you invite people together? Right. I mean, you know, you know, so and so inviting us for our divorce. It's 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 crazy story. Right. But that's what Shimon Yechai told them to do. So they did it. They made a party, and he was a chassidish yid. He said and he was smashed. He goes over to his soon-to-be ex-wife. And he says, listen, I, I love you very much, but we have to separate. So therefore, anything in my possession, anything that I own, 
whatever you want, you can take. It's yours. It's my token to you. And he says he was, he ended up going, he found a couch, a bed, and he fell asleep on the bed. <clears throat> when he fell asleep, his wife, soon to be ex-wife or ex-wife, or whatever stage, it, no, it wasn't ex-wife yet, tells the servants, the people who are there, do me, take the, the bed with him on, on it and bring him to my father's house. Because that's where she's going back. He wakes up. He's by his father-in-law's house. He's like, what am I doing here? She said, you said, I can take anything from you, anything that you, that's valuable to me. You're the only thing that's valuable to me. So I'm taking you. Mm. So he goes, like, what are you supposed to do now? So he goes back to Hashem Benichai. Hashem Benichai says, he's amazed by it. He gives him a bracha. Uh, and they had kids. So the Balatani, the Alter Eber, writes, says over this whole story. And then he says, what happened before and after? I can give him. Right. Meaning, why can't he give him a bracha before? Right. Yeah. He says, because Simcha was not there. When happiness is there, and appreciation and positivity is there, that's a place where blessings can be given and blessings can, can actually come to fruition. Mm. When Shimon and Yechai saw what kind of happiness they had and how they wanted to be with each other and and everything and the way they, they conducted themselves, he saw that it was he was fit at this point that they can give there's a blessing and it can have actually fruition. Mm. So <clears throat> the Rebbe always says always at this time as much as we have to mourn this time, but we have to know that the mourning is a mitzvah, and when you're doing what you're supposed to do, there's a certain appreciation. To that also, and a happiness in that. That has to be embedded in the root of that. Words, we're not just here to be depressed. We're here because we're trying to connect to that zman of missing. Because missing creates that space where you start building. If you don't feel a little, if you don't feel empty a little, you don't, you don't feel the need to, to create, to fill that emptiness. So it's not there just to stay empty. It's only there to help us propel us to get out of this. Wow. So just like you honor one that you've lost by moving forward, you also honor them by missing them and the willingness to own both of those spaces. You know, it's interesting in the story because the, because the Rashbi, Rashimba Yuchai, tells them to have a, a joyous occasion to celebrate their, their geirish and their divorce. Right, ostensibly because it's a mitzvah, they're supposed to separate. So just like you celebrate the mitzvah of being together, it's to celebrate the mitzvah of being apart. And they did it. They, right. they tried to engage the avoda, And that opened the door for, 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 to this for, other simcha. Because it says simcha peritz gedah. Simcha breaks all barriers. Right, so the message that I'm receiving from that is that by um, wholly and completely embracing the moment that we're in, the moment of sadness, right, like thinking back to that moment when you looked at the door and you accepted like, okay, this is where I'm, life moves on, but doesn't mean life moves on. I'm not supposed to think about this. It's right. Shiva, right? By embracing that, that is what allowed you to move on into a life, right? That's, that's the message of your story as it's reflected in the way that the Rebbe is interpreting the Balatanya's interpretation of the story of Rashbi, 
right? Which is the joy of the willingness to engage the sadness from a place of joy that this is my, this is my privilege. I have the honor of having the privilege to sit in the sadness here is what will lead us to this, to the joy of Tubav, to the joy of life, a new life, and moving on and moving forward and making the best of it, more, more than the best of it, making the best of it. <laughs> and Mashiach should come for those first knuckleheads. <laughs> right, right. You would think that uh, maybe that should be the schlis, that we engage the, it'd be just as easy for us to avoid that darkness because we're so used to it, to kind of lean into it and, and, and experience it, but knowing that we're doing it from a place of bittel. You know, and God willing, that should be a, should be an honor for our, for the people that came before us, to your father in particular. Thank you for joining us, Mayor. It's nice that your son's here. His, name, his name is Menachem Nachum. Right. He's named after my father. So that's very nice. And by the when your son gave did the bracha the, by the chuppah, by your daughter and, and representing your father, it was it was very powerful. It was a very meaningful thing in the sense that like uh, I was an observer from afar, and what I observed was like. Uh, Everyone was there. It was all like a, it was very, very much present. The neshama was there, and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a testament to this idea that you're talking about that uh, life moves on, not in a bad way. No, positively. In a positive way. Yeah. And there, that's the honor. At this point, they're supposed to be our influence, our guiding light. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us, Mayor. family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tepora Bas Ravaron. Our producer is Morty Schwartz, our audio engineer is Alps, and our artwork is by Tani Puz. Our social media team is led by Tehil and Asanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanekman, and our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zushi. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at The Light Review. Oh, 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 oh.